just had a great conversation with Alana Winnick, who is the author of the new book, The Generative Age, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Education. And one of the things we kept coming back to was that, yes, we have access to artificial intelligence, things like ChatGPT, and so many other things that we actually didn't know that we are using that are actually considered to be artificial intelligence. And that's great, but we still have to focus on developing wisdom and our humanity in education. And it made me think of a post that I wrote recently where I refer back to an article that I wrote all the way back in 2014. And here's what I said. So with all the talk of technology, we just need to remember that there's so much more to our schools and some of the best things in 20th century education are just as relevant today. If you're a school that does not focus on building relationships, you are on a faster road to relevance than one that doesn't use technology. In a world where information is easy to access and I can always find better content online than I can in school, the refocus on relationships is more crucial now than ever. Embrace technology. It will provide people with opportunities that we could not have dreamed of when we were kids. But just remember that people will always be the most important part of the education system. As soon as we reduce everyone to a number or an avatar, we have lost more than we could have ever gained. And that's something we kept coming back to in the conversation was how do we keep that humanist? How do we keep that, you know, in this time where we're just inundated with change, inundated with information? And Alana gives a lot of great ideas. And one of the things that we talked about was the importance of wisdom. And I, I refer back to one more quote that I shared in this piece that I wrote. And in a time where information is abundant, we need to focus more on developing wisdom rather than simply garnering knowledge. The latter is imperative to gain the former, but it is not guaranteed. So that wisdom that we develop and how we utilize these things and how we actually use these things to make our world better than it was when we were kids. Alana gives some great ideas, some great insights on this. I really enjoyed the conversation. I know you will too. Welcome back to another episode of the Innovators Mindset Podcast. Hey everyone, this is George Kroos. Welcome back to another episode of the Innovators Mindset Podcast. I am so blessed to have Alana Winnick here today. She is the EdTech Director of Pocanico. It has a T in there somewhere, but I don't know where it is. Uh, so I'm probably saying it wrong. So Alana- Oh, Alana, good. Pocanico, great job. Thanks. Thank you. All right. So uh, Alana is the uh, author of the new book, The Generative, Generative Age, Artificial Intelligence and the Future of Education. It's actually published by Connected Ed Books. Is that correct? That is correct. So, Connected you know, led by my very good friend, Jimmy Casas. And uh, Alana, I saw a lot of the work that you're doing um, with artificial intelligence with your school district. So I asked you to be on here and it's been wonderful getting to know you. But if you can just kind of tell everyone who you are, what you do today and how you got there, I think it's a great place to start. Okay. So my background is in childhood education. And I was in AIS math for one year and then inclusion kindergarten my second year. And then um, it was a very tough time to find a job. So mm -hmm. I took a job as a computer lab teaching assistant and just to just to have, you know, health insurance and stuff. And very quickly, which now I know you know him, Adam Pease was the yeah. high school principal. He was like, whoa, this girl is going to leave the second she gets a job somewhere else. So they created a job as an educational technology yeah. specialist. So thank you, Adam, for probably facilitating that. And I worked there with Adam for two years, who's an incredible mentor and human. 
And then I got a job working for New York State and supporting 48 school districts around Rockland, Westchester, and Putnam. And then one of count those are counties in New York, just north of Manhattan, in yep. case you're not familiar, if your listeners aren't familiar. And then during the pandemic, one of the districts I was supporting was like, we can't share you anymore. We kind of just need you full time. This is a lot yeah. going on and we need you. So I came over to work with them as their educational technology director and data protection officer. And while we're on the topic of the pandemic, I just think that this is something that I found so fascinating in my career. Hmm. Um, that when the pandemic happened, I think, I don't even want to say it brought us forward to the future. I think it brought right. us where we should have been. This is where we should have been in 2020. And I was so excited about it because it's all things I had been hoping that people would do for a very, very long time. And then when things kind of got back to normal, people went back to the way they did things before. And I was... Hmm. Not excited about that. I'm not saying in my own district. I mean, I I think that across the board, a lot of people went back to the way things the way things were been were have been done instead of innovating and moving forward. Which I thought this would have ha- helped everyone ha- that already had that foundation to move forward. Um, but then when AI came out, I think and I hope that AI will push us to where we went in the beginning with the pandemic, but even further and force us to not go back to the way things used to be. So when that's how I wrote the book so fast, because for me, it wasn't about AI, really. It's about this where education should be in 2023 and beyond. And and that's why it was written. So because it wasn't about AI, it's about where we should be. So so why do you, okay, so what what do you, why do you think, um, why do you think maybe people went back? And this is something I've been talking about for quite a while is that, um, you know, are we really desperately trying to get back to 2019? Like, is that the, the goal, the emphasis of what we're doing in education right now? And the weird thing is, I, I think that the thing that I always encourage educators to think about is like, what is 2023, 2024 look like? And probably it should be more aligned with, what you envision education to be when you first actually enter the profession. Like somehow like we have hopes and aspirations of when we enter. And then I feel through the process of education, through the work that we actually do, um, it kind of wears us down and we just kind of, you know, we tend to check boxes, but it's partly because people make us check the boxes. right? Right. So what, why do you think that people, cause I think a lot of times we blame people for going back to that but is our school districts and our systems maybe pushing them to that or like why do you think people are kind of maybe going back to what it was prior to COVID I mean I think some teachers are like I don't want to look at another zoom or teams ever again I don't want to look at my computer I just want to put it down like I think they were a bit traumatized of that's fair from the experience and they're just like paper books paper pens crayons let's put the technology away. And I think maybe once the dust settles, they'll pick Mm. it back up. I don't, I hope, I hope, but I think maybe it was a bit of just feeling a sense of normalcy and being traumatized from the pandemic. Yeah. And I I was actually, it's it's weird because I was using, I was using um, StreamYard to do these podcasts and then I started using Zoom. Just StreamYard wasn't 
working great for me for whatever reason. And uh, I started going back to Zoom. But about two or three weeks earlier, uh, someone asked me to meet with them and it was on Zoom. And, you know, I hadn't used it in a little while. And I was like, oh, like things have changed a little bit. And I'm not going to lie to you. I said to them, I'm like, I'm so happy that I'm not comfortable using Zoom because I haven't used it in a while. Whereas you just knew it like inside out for a while. And I was like, I kind of like that I haven't been using this as much. So when you say that people were traumatized by it, I get it. Like I, you know, there's times where I'm like, oh my God, I can't uh, get, you know, get on Zoom. I remember this and people, you know, at the time it was like interesting because there's like, Hey, everyone has to have their camera on and all this other stuff. And I remember this one morning I was doing a, an event with superintendents and I would have never said this, but the person who brought me in said, Hey, we want you to show respect to the speaker today. We want you to all turn your, keep your cameras on for the entire time. And there was a superintendent. I'm not even lying. This is Sunday morning. So he had me on his treadmill and I just saw him like striding for an hour. I'm like, dude, turn your camera off. Like, I don't want to see this. Right. And I have no problem with the guy on the treadmill. Yeah. I just don't want to watch it for an yeah. hour. Right. And so, you know, he was, he was actively listening to everything I was saying, but also it was kind of throwing me off. Cause I'm just seeing these high strides go, um, as we go, I, I think part of the student, I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on this. I kind of struggle cause I've been writing forever and I've struggled a little bit when you're thinking about AI is like, well, why should I even write anymore? Because AI can do this and do it way better than me. And it almost yeah. like, but you know, do you know what I mean? Like I, I felt that a little bit cause you're just seeing it like, yeah. Right? And so how did, how does someone get over that maybe, you know? And I, I feel like, okay, that means I really got to focus on the stuff that only I can share that AI can't share. That's, you know, somewhat personal. And I think you and I talked about in the last podcast, that really human connection. Yeah. So how do you kind of get people to understand that in a different way when you have access to this stuff, how does it change, you know, our thinking so that we continue doing stuff that pushes our own learning? I think they just have to use it. And, and right. once they try and use it, they're like, Oh, that's really good. Oh, that's not so good. Oh, that's good. And then I think when you just see it, you realize, okay, this is a really good start, but I could do, I can make it better. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really just about using it. I I'm know that with my own teachers. So with AI, it's so funny because I don't even, I, they don't know I wrote a book. Some of them do because they, I, endorse, they, I asked some of them to read it first, but um, a lot of them don't know that I wrote a book and it's ironic that I'm like a, I guess, AI expert and right. Right in front of them. Um, but I try to empower them to be leaders. Like I don't want to stand up at a faculty meeting and them hear me all the time. So I know like, okay, Marina's doing this really great thing. Cattell's doing this really great thing. And Emma's doing this really great thing. And I'll have a faculty meeting and like do station rotations and the teachers cycle through 10 minutes in each room and see what their colleagues are doing really great. And then it's not me doing it, but also they're sharing hey, I did this, this is what worked, this didn't work. And now the last few minutes, you try it. And so they're walking out of each of those three rooms, trying something and saying, okay, this worked, this didn't work. And I think until you put it in their hands and ask them to to do it, no one will, no one will notice or see it. So I'm curious about what you're thinking is on this, because I love that you're giving people opportunity and time to utilize it themselves, because this is something I've been arguing forever is that too often what we do is we jump straight to the teaching without doing the learning, 
Like we just say like, how do we get kids to use this? And it's like, well, you're not even using this. So how do you, if you don't understand it from the viewpoint of a learner, you're going to struggle with this. But this is actually very specifically in the New York area when ChatGPT like was all over the place in probably December, maybe even as early as November, 2022. By January, I saw tons of districts in New York, not the state specifically. City, New York City. Blocking it. Man, right. yeah, all of New York City is like the largest school district in the country. They yeah. block. So, so like, how how do we how do we uh, how, I guess not how do we how do you how do you get people to kind of see past this? Because um, I know you you know my brother Alec. His big thing is really how do how do you utilize this? Because a lot of people are concerned about cheating. Is like you shouldn't be concerned about cheating. You should be more focused on how does this actually take changing or teaching. Like yeah. that should be the the big focus. So. You know, if you're, if you're going to block it right away, then you're, people can still get on their phones. Like it's not like you can't have access to it. So like, how are you getting people like to kind of shift their thinking on this, to go beyond, uh, the, one of the best analogies I heard about it is that use it as a second brain, like to kind of see oh, that. So yeah. how, how are you helping that, that shift, you know, kind of, so that schools aren't blocking it. And I know you're doing this work already in your school district, but I know you're working with other schools and, and districts around uh, the world and having conversations, how are you getting them to kind of wrap their heads around it? I think the first part of what I always say is, and I don't like to use the word assessment. I really don't. But when you talk about assessment, if you are assessing the end product, let's call it an essay. That's a really easy example because AI could do that. If you're assessing the end product, AI can just do that. So I think what we need to really re- the, the area that we really need to think about is assessing the learning process. If you are checking in with your students, watching the learning evolve and guiding them throughout their learning process, and you could use project-based learning or flip classroom or, I mean, any of the, the things we know work, um, you wouldn't be really concerned about cheating because you're I watching you're you're watching the learning and you're watching that student develop and learn and grow. How are how are students learning and how are you assessing learning? Because if you're assessing learning, you shouldn't be concerned. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing with AI detection. Like first of all, they they're not they don't have a very high accuracy rate and they actually open AI they discontinue their AI detector. Mm -hmm. But all AI really is is putting the next most probable word and the next most probable word and the next most probable word. So it's only detecting the probability of the word strung together. So if you replace words with synonyms, an AI detector won't even detect right. that. So I think yeah. it's, yeah. Like even, even on the pot. So on my own podcast, I'll do these book reviews. Right. And one of the things, and I'm trying to make my process of learning very visible. So I'll say like, Hey, here's a book I, I read. Here's what I liked about it. And I'm going to give you a short summary based on what ChatGPT wrote for me. Right. So I actually, so I actually outright reference ChatGPT and the way I go through it, as I say, I don't say like, write a summary of this book. I'll say, write a five tweet summary of this book. Oh, so wow. it's very concise in the way that, cause you know, it's a podcast. Called right? a tweet if it's, if it's called X and not Twitter. Yeah, now. So ChatGPT knows maybe, and maybe they'll, maybe they'll the next time I do that, but I think part of it is using the process yeah. and then, and then actually saying, okay, now here's my takeaways from the book, but they're very, like, there's no way chat GPT could actually, um, write 
the parts that are very George specific. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, here's yeah. this quote, here's what it means to me. And here's something that I've seen in education and how it relates. And I think making that process learning. And, you know, when you talked about that idea of assessment, um, I remember actually doing this project and we were talking about, you know, other countries and the students were making uh, videos, right? Making videos, right. explaining this. And it was new to the teacher. And I remember the teacher saying to me, well, how do I assess the video? I'm like, you don't assess the video. You assess the kid's understanding of the country and what they're asked in the curriculum. Yeah. So basically, you know, I'm old enough that I used to get doc marks for my grammar in science. I'm like, and now I know that's actually not the correct thing to do. Now, could, uh, could, you know, could you help me with my language in science? But are you assessing my grammar based on your own judgment? Or are you assessing my understanding of the curriculum objectives, the things that you're supposed to be talking in the science? And I think right. that's something that, you know, you kind of alluded to is that really kind of, are you looking at the learning or are you just looking at the tool? Are you looking at the thing? Right. And so yeah. I think if you don't, I, I think the more you say, don't use it, the more people want to use it. In, yeah, yeah no, that I, someone else recently said that the more you say, don't use it, the more they want to use it. And I think that there's like a time and place for using it. Yeah. And I also, so I was talking, I like to talk to kids about this a lot. I was talking to a ninth grader and she was saying she's been using this thing called Quillbot, which basically is AI, but she yep. didn't know that it was AI since sixth grade. So she's been using it for three years before ChatGPT was ever right. a thing. And she said, oh, I just take my writing, I plug it in. And then um, what she said is that it helps her see how someone else would have written the same thing in a different way. And she thinks it actually helps her become a better right. writer. So I think if you think about it like that, and, and that's what I did. I mean, when I wrote my book, first of all, I think if you're writing a book in 2023 in a world with AI, like you should absolutely be using it as a thought partner. Right. Um, because I, I came up with a list and John Spencer said this and he came up with a list and you throw it in and then it gives you maybe things you don't like, but one idea you didn't think of before, right. and then you rewrite it in your own kind of way. So it, I reference it as his AJ Giuliani this is like co-author for his recent book. Uh, so I think it helps you bounce ideas and, and you take what resonates with you. Um, Richard Collada gave me this, this idea. I stole this one from him. So he had said in, he's CEO of ISI, he said, um, it's like you're a curator and you, he, his wife is a musician and there's only like however many musical notes and you like pick and choose like in like an artist, right? Like you're curating the ideas. Um, when I was in Greece, I actually met this DJ and mm. I was not a DJ party. I was just like in the Plaka. I was at Plaka. Yeah. He met a DJ and he, um, I decided it's a more kid-friendly term if you call it like you're like a DJ right and they pick and choose the, the beats and the music that resonate with you and you build your own thing but as long as it's reflecting your own knowledge and your own thinking and and it sounds like you then it helps you become a better writer one of the examples that you gave I thought was really really powerful is kind of using as a thought partner and I there's like my my blog there's like before Grammarly and after Grammarly. Yeah, that's right? AI. And sometimes what I'll do, I actually um, go back and I pull old posts and then I like I do what's called a blog revisit. So I'll say like, hey, here's something I wrote in 2011. And then I say, I gave it the Grammarly treatment to like correct it. And like, I see it. I'm like, oh my God, like there's so yeah. much bad and there's so many things. But 
as you said, through that process, um, when you're kind of doing Grammarly, it actually has helped me write because I'm like, oh, I keep doing this. I keep doing right. this thing, right? And so I didn't realize it. And <laughs> I feel sometimes, I'm not going to lie to you, it's like I'm like playing this game with Grammarly to have the least amount of like wrong sentences in that right now because i'm like oh, but that's I'm making like, you a stronger writer totally that's totally so, yeah did you like watch spell check right spell checking like helps me yeah. to spell some words i have never spelled before like i think the word so let's see let's do a spelling test how do you spell the word gist oh god right is it g or, or like i don't know now that i'm on the spot i don't know but if i was writing it i think i might is it g or j right so i actually i yeah. I wrote that in my blog today and I was like, okay, what's, what did I do it right? So I actually, I think that's why good. dictation is great. You don't need to worry about that. Right. And so like the, the gist, yeah. So it is G and that's actually, I actually, oh, maybe it's totally wrong. Cause uh, gist is actually uh, a type of cancer that begins in the digestive system. It's a gastrointestinal tumor. So maybe I use that in a totally wrong way today. So there you go. And I oh. found that out really, really quick. So yeah. I did write it wrong. Right. But I think part of it too, is actually understanding, you know, the, the different ways you can use this and actually how we can utilize it to improve our learning. And, um, my big thing is there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think that AI is really good at providing knowledge, but you have to create wisdom. Like mm -hmm. that's a very human thing. All right. I'm going to read this little, um, synopsis from your book, um, that's written on Amazon here, prepare schools and classrooms for the AI driven world of tomorrow. The generative age, artificial intelligence, and the future of education is more than just an exploration of AI's impact, impact on education. It is also a call to action. Educators are uniquely positioned to shape the future of learning, ensure that AI is harnessed responsibly. The generative age is an essential read for educators and leaders looking to harness the potential of generative AI in shaping the future of education. Okay, first of all, when you say generative what like what does that mean? What do you oh, mean? Thank you for AI? bringing that up. So generative age is different than generative generative AI is yeah. different than AI because it's generating content. The content could be text. The content could be images. It could be video. It could be audio. I've been using the AI one, the AI image generating one, a lot in lessons. So like our French students are writing a description of a human of a face in French. And we pop it in the AI generator to see if their French writing accurately depicted mm -hmm. what they were envisioning in their head. So I've, and a million other things like algorithmic writing in third grade, but anyway, so generative is means the AI is generating content instead of just um, other AIs, like your car has AI in it. It's right. not like you're, you're not getting any content out of it yourself. So that's what generative means is it's generating content. Um, but while you were talking, I just thought about something. So if you haven't checked out the Salcon TED Talk, the first okay. few minutes are so powerful. And I think that I, I added it into my book too. Um, it helps you understand how AI could be your personal like, like tutor. And I think that that's how you're using it in your blog writing and um, using in, in educators will use it as their tutor and their teaching assistant and learners will use it as their tutor and I think that's how I it will be used to help because actually Bloom so Bloom Benjamin mm -hmm. probably studied him we probably all studied him he had a study that said that that was called the two sigma problem and if everyone had a personal one-on-one -on -one tutor they're like a 
good student would become great and a below average student would become like a really good student. But we just never had the money to give every child a tutor. But this is actually an opportunity for everyone to have their own personal tutor. Hey, so like the, when you're, when you're talking about this, uh, in the Salcon thing, it's kind of interesting because I don't know if you remember this, but Salcon was going to be the end of education. Do you remember that? Yeah. So I when, did. what was it? Khan Academy. And I remember, uh, when Khan Academy was everywhere, people were saying, Hey, like, oh, this is like the end and all, you know, now they're just going to replace teachers with YouTube and these videos and stuff like this. And I'm going to be honest with you when that all happened, uh, I actually was like, I I'm not worried. Cause I don't teach that way. Like the way that yeah. Khan Academy first came out, I'm like, if you, if that's the way you teach, then maybe you should be replaced. Right. If it's just like this, this part of it too. Now, even thinking about Khan Academy and that thinking, could you use Khan Academy as a supplement hundred percent? Right. But it wasn't meant to be a replacement. And so that was never something that I was actually ever concerned about with that, that process. And so one of the things that you say, and this is the last question I'm going to ask you, you say, this is a call to action. And mm -hmm. so what, when you say that call to action, what is the call to action? Like, what are you hoping this book generates? This book is going to do for people. How do you think it's going to help? Um, well, I have this one section. Well, I have a, a passport to success, like a student's passport to success. There you go. Um, uh, but I also have this one section I really love that's called asking difficult questions and having difficult conversations. And I really envision that this would have been read by like teams of people right. and, and like your department or your school, like sitting down together and having these conversations about what do you think the future of your classroom and your school and your district and education looks like, like, like what does a role of a teacher look like? Right. What, what does it mean to be an educated person? Um, those are just ones that came to my head, but there's like, I just, that's what I mean. Like, call, like, let's come together. Let's have these deep conversations and let's change the way that we've been teaching to a way that we know works. Not like, I'm not suggesting anything that we doesn't, we don't know works. Well, you know, so one of the conversations I've been having with people and it's kind of what you're talking about, because you're not, you are not defining that you're yeah. asking people to consider it. Right. Yeah. And one of the questions that I've been asking people is what are the basics in education? Like what we like when we say, cause people still say the basics. And I think it's really important that we actually have a conversation with that. So I'll give you an example of this. So 2020 happens. We talked about this, uh, you know, how people were kind of forced to a change. So a lot of people still would say cursive handwriting is a basic skill every kid needs to know. And I'm not going to make the argument against it. Cause like, I'll tell you people like with cursive, Oh, that's oh, a, no. a touchy they, subject, right? very sensitive, very, very sensitive. sensitive. So I'm not saying that, but some of the people who know how to write cursive and are very good at it, don't know how to get onto zoom. Right. So is getting onto zoom using some of the stuff, a basic skill. And I'm not saying it is I'm saying, have the conversation. And I think it's really important to actually say, and I think that's what you're asking for too. We should be having these conversations instead of, instead of dismissing this. And I, this is, I think this is what was really interesting. And, you know, you kind of, uh, talked about this is that COVID kind of pushed people to a certain space where you had to adapt really quickly, Yeah. but then, you know, chat GPT 
it isn't necessarily pushing people to do it. It's kind of, it's kind of optional. And you can see why school districts and I, I my first thought is like, have we not learned anything? Like, have mm -hmm. we not like picked up anything? Cause if we don't like, this is going to be, you might not have to do it. It might not be mandatory, but it's going to be thrust on you at some point. And then we are going to be trying to catch up. And so we're always kind of trying to play this game of catch up. And I understand like, because a lot of times teachers, you know, a lot of times teachers want to do something, but their school districts or their leadership teams are holding them back. Right. And not letting them do this. Because they saw it on TikTok, right? They watched a TikTok about it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause it, cause a lot of times it's, it's just like, they're, they're, they're pushing, you know, people away from this and, you know, and then pretending it doesn't exist. And I think if you pretend it doesn't exist, it's only going to get worse. I think it's sure. how you realize this too. So no, I, I think, and yeah. that's when you go back to your three questions and like you asked the three questions, they're very important because there's a teacher and there's a leader and the teacher that everyone needs to be on the same page or change can't happen. You, right. you can't make change without having these conversations and Absolutely. being like on and having support really like it comes down to having like a community, a supportive community. Yeah. You know, so I don't know if you ever saw me post about this. Do you, this is probably dating me. Do you remember, do you remember new Coke? Do you remember this? No. Okay. So there was like, there's Coke forever. Like just yeah. Coke. No, I'm not talking. So there used to be actually, I can't probably say this because I'm on YouTube, but there was like Coke and Coke, like way back, oh. like early, early, like we're talking like 19, or something like this. Right. I've heard. But then there was like the same formula for Coke forever. Mm -hmm. And then I can't remember the year it's like around 85, 88, something like this but they came out with new Coke and mm -hmm. basically what they did, they were changing this formula that had been forever and they did these taste tests for new Coke and overwhelmingly people picked in these taste tests, pick new Coke. Mm -hmm. And so they're like, all right, well, this is a no brainer. Like people like this. And so they just said, Hey, we got a new Coke formula and people were livid because they didn't care that it tasted better. They had an emotional connection um, to the way Coke tasted. Hmm. So what happened was they like stocks drop. People are like, there's a, there's like this huge backlash. And I like it. Then there was like new Coke and Coke classic. And now I think just Coke is Coke. And some people actually think it was like a marketing scam, like yeah. to bring more attention to Coke and things like this too, that it was really important to kind of understand that there is the, that people don't, even if something is better, if you are connected to the old thing emotionally, it doesn't matter. So like we have to kind of bridge that connection emotionally um, to this. And I think that's why, you know, your book's really important is because you and I were talking about this before. This is not something that is like, Hey, I wrote it and it's already irrelevant because I'm showing you step-by-step -step AI, but getting people to understand this in a different yeah. way. Would you say like buy-in is so important. Like going back to that Coke thing, buy-in is so important. It, it's, you're not going to make change without buy-in. And I think I actually found AI to be really easy to get people on board in my own school district, because right. you're just like, look how much time you just saved. You walked out of here right. and everyone had this aha moment of look how much time I can save. Now, no one's going to, if I said, I'm going to block AI the, for teachers, they would freak out. So I think it was right. actually one of the easiest things for me to get buy-in about. Well, see, and what well, you did very smart, the emotional connection, like yeah. hey, I've got time. There's many things I want to do. Yeah. So this can save me time. I could have more time at home, more time with family, more time with my friends, more time with people I care about. So there is that connection to that. So Alana, first of all, congratulations on the book. Thanks for taking yeah. time out of a Saturday 
to record this podcast. I'm looking forward to learning from you more and you can follow Alana. Uh, you can see all her socials down in the description below and check out the new book, the generative age, artificial intelligence and the future of education and shout out to Pocanico. I wanted to say it one more time, right? So I'm going to give myself a self air horn for, did I say it right? I think so. I don't even remember. Oh, All right. Thanks for watching everybody. I hope you have a wonderful day. Alana, thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you for having me.